Hello and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Kayla and each episode I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of a top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and will be full of behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips that will help you get into your dream school. This week, we're joined by Heather McCutcheon to talk about the admissions office of Dartmouth College. Hi, Heather. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Kayla. Happy to be here. So you worked at Dartmouth College as a admissions reader. Yes, I did. So how many years were you working in the admissions office? I worked at Dartmouth's admissions office on and off for years. And how did you kind of get into the admissions field? So I'm a professional writer and I worked um, as a playwright, novelist, columnist, um, and was actually approached by Dartmouth to do some writing for them, to write brochures and websites, um, which as an alum I was very excited to do. And I became very involved in working with the admissions office on a lot of their marketing initiatives over the course of a couple decades and just became interested in admissions as a whole and learning more about it. And as a playwright, I love stories and I am very interested in monologues and how people kind of can tell their story, a character can tell their story on stage, you know, with one person speaking. And I feel like that's essentially what a personal statement is. It's somebody's monologue telling us something really important about themselves. So I became good at helping um, friends and nieces and nephews um, with brainstorming for their essays and writing their essays and just became really interested in the whole process. And now that's what you do full time is helping people write their essays and do their applications here at Ingenious Prep. Right, so that just kind of grew on me over the years. Like I started with, oh, I'll help one or two kids a year. And then um, you know, my husband was complaining because we had so many kids <laughs> rotating through the summer before their senior year, coming for a week, a weekend, days at a time to work on their applications that eventually it just kind of um, took over. Yeah. So how long have you been working here at Ingenious Prep? Uh, Going on three years, and I really enjoy it because I get to focus on the part that I love, which is just helping students kind of think about how to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. So back when you were in the Dartmouth admissions office, before you were starting to help more students, so what was it like being an admissions reader? Kind of, can you take me through kind of what the day in the life of an admissions reader is? Yeah, sure. Um, first, I'd like to say that I hadn't realized um, initially how much training goes into being an admissions reader. So universities each have their own system, but at Dartmouth, um, there was a solid week of training wow. where we talked a lot about bias, about um, the school's priorities and um, you know things things to look for, reasons to ask for a second reader, um, ways to interact with each other, to be able to understand like you know it helps to know each other so that if you see that a colleague has given a negative opinion of an application um, but you have a positive read on it, it helps to kind of know each other's personalities to try to unpack why that might be. So and we spent a lot of time just getting ready to and read. And how many uh, colleagues and other readers were you working with at a time? 
Gosh. Um, so personally, I probably worked with about 10 other readers. Um, that really varies, I think, depending on the campus and even, you know, at Dartmouth at the time I was there reading, um, different people had different arenas where they mm -hmm. read. Um, so it just depended how that shook out. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I personally did to prepare was I took a speed reading class um, because you really have to read pages, quickly. Yeah. And um, I had done admissions work before, but never under this kind of um, just like time pressure to get mm. so many things read um, each day. Yeah. So um, as an admissions reader, I think I read uh, just over a thousand applications in that season. Wow. Um, so early, early apps, Dartmouth has an ED option. So during ED, it's a nice kind of warm up. There's not as many applications per reader because they're divided up somewhat equally. Um, so you're able to spend a little bit more time with those apps is one reason that I always recommend that kids give a serious consideration to applying early decision if they mm -hmm. have a top choice school that offers it because the readers are just in less of a frenzy, right? Like right. we're fresh uh, and we um, you know, don't have as many staring at us waiting for us to read them. Right, so. so not only is there not as many people to compete against, you're also getting kind of more undivided attention from those readers. Yes, for sure. And there's just more like excitement. Like you read about a kid who's doing something interesting, might be the first time you read that this cycle. Right. You know, yeah, they get come, the advantage of come being January the first to or say February, it. you might read another, you know, 25 kids who are doing that same cool thing. It's still cool, but no longer has that like, oh wow, I've never heard of that before. Mm -hmm. um, so there are those advantages and of course more and more schools are taking larger percentages of their freshman class in an early mm -hmm. process because it helps them protect their yield, how many students accept the offer of admission. Right, right. So how many, did you have a certain amount of applications that you were reading every day? Um, let's see, I think that I, typically read about 25 a day yeah you there is I think just a human limitation to how many you can read in a day and still like give each one a fair right. read and give it the attention it needs and be able to focus on it and be able to not you know be thinking about something else um, one of the things they you know they train readers to make sure they know if they're starting to get distracted you know, mm -hmm. when to take a break um, how to tell if like you're not reading at peak performance right. and need to step away for a little bit. Right. So you are reading, you know, you said a thousand applications during that one season, but you are actually reading every single one of those applications that comes across your desk. Yes. The vast majority of universities, that's the case. And certainly at Dartmouth, every application is read um, in, in those, at that time, at least by two readers. Wow. Okay. So that policy varies depending on the university, how many um, guaranteed readers mm -hmm. you'll have. Um, but at Dartmouth, even if the first reader felt like it was a strong no, um, the Dean of Admissions would still look it over before. Right. So you always um, get that, that second chance, at least with Dartmouth's policy. Um, so what was your, what would you say your favorite part of being an admissions reader was while you were doing it? 
I was trying to imagine these kids as real people and mm -hmm. trying to just see what, um, what their life was like, putting together all the different pieces of information that we get in an application. You learn about somebody's family and where they live and their school. The school report gives a lot of insight into uh, kind of the community that has surrounded these kids, mm -hmm. um, their activities and what they write about and what the teachers say about them. Like it all, it's like a puzzle. You put all those pieces together and try to figure out who, who is this kid and is it somebody that really should be a part of the college community you're reading for. Right. I think that should be very telling to students applying too is that if admissions readers are really trying to look for that story and get to know them and be able to imagine this person on paper as a person, you know, the better a student can write their application to convey who they are and really make a vivid picture that's probably to their benefit. Yes, absolutely. The more that we're able to envision you and think of you as an actual person, uh, the more you come alive in your application, just, you know, the more likely it is that we will really want to say yes, right? Once you're a real person, we don't want to say no to you. Right, right. So on that note of kind of what you should be trying to put into your application to really stand out, for a student who's really looking at a highly competitive school like Dartmouth or other Ivy League schools, what are these schools really looking for in your application? So, I mean, I think schools want it all. They want students who are great in their academics. There are these kind of threshold matters of test scores and GPAs and taking challenging courses. They want to see that you've um, kind of maximized the opportunities available to you. Your application is read with context in mind. So admissions officers everywhere try to know um, as much as they can about your high school and the community that you have grown up in. So they know if you lived in a place where there were tons of opportunities to do you know, community service and you did none or did a lot, like either way, like it tells them something about you and how you take advantage of what's around you. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, grow up in a situation where that's not really an option for you because of the length of your school day or your commute home or family obligations, um, you know, colleges read it in that context. But uh, the Dean of Admissions at Dartmouth did once say to me that if he had to summarize what he was looking for in one word, he would say impact. That mm -hmm. he looks for people who have a positive impact in their community, whether that's the school level, the family level, the city or state level, the broader the impact, sometimes the better, but also you know the deeper the impact, like how, how much have you as an applicant be able to been able to have a positive impact on somebody else or on some other group. Mm -hmm. And so would you say obviously you only worked at Dartmouth's admissions office but do you think that really goes across all of the Ivy League schools? Yeah so one of, the, one of the great things um, about working for Ingenious is that we have this cohort of people who've worked at admissions offices all over the country mm -hmm. and we meet regularly we use each other as kind of a hive mind to try to understand the different processes at work. And yes, I would definitely say that's true. I think that all schools are looking for that. Not every student has every piece of, you know, what a school is looking for. Um, but I think impact is something that we, you know, we all look for on some level, whether it's a less competitive college that just wants to see that you are involved in your school community, whether you were a leader or not, um, you had some involvement and you were engaged with other people. 
that's having impact mm -hmm. uh, within your school community as well. Yeah. And speaking of, I think a lot of times there's kind of a difficult balance between having that impact and doing those extracurricular activities and then really working on your grades and your test scores. And I know that's something that a lot of students worry about is their GPA and their SAT and ACT. So how would you say that really affects admissions? Basically, how much do your numbers really matter in the admissions process? So I guess this is an area where I have some bias. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think the standardized tests do a great job of capturing how well somebody will do mm -hmm. in a college setting. Um, increasingly, that's, that's the attitude um, among universities as well. More and more schools are offering test optional admissions. Right. Yep. Um, even, you know, University of Chicago last year, which um, previously had been thought of as a very number-centric place mm -hmm. that really, really cared about what your number was. Um, and now, you know, optional. That's a huge change. Right. So I, um, I think that standardized tests are a very specific thing that you can prepare for. There's lots of data that suggests how much of a difference preparation makes. And of course, higher socioeconomic levels are able to pay for more preparation. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the problems with standardized testing. Um, and it, in the end, evaluates how you did on one test on one Saturday morning, as opposed to a GPA that shows how you did over the course of four years. There can be highs and lows, good days and bad days, and your GPA will capture a much kind of broader aspect of how you perform over time. So I think the GPA is definitely a better indicator of success in college than the standardized tests are. Um, there's always exceptions. I can think of exceptions in my mind right now of kids I've known, family members who, you know, one way or the other defy that um, kind of generalization. But I think in general, the GPA for me is a much better indicator. Right. And would you say, like, when you were actually reading in the admissions office, is it the GPA that you personally would pay attention to more? That's probably where I started. I would look mm -hmm. at the GPA first okay. um, and the courses to see, you know, was this somebody who was taking the highest level courses available to them? Were they challenging themselves or were they kind of coasting, taking lower level courses? Um, for me, that's a really strong indicator. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that standardized testing um, still matters at the vast majority of schools, and they're very clear about the numbers, the range, um, but more and more this process has room for exceptions and for kids who, um, you know, excel in other ways. You still have to have some demonstration of, um, like, a proficiency that admissions officers can fairly compare to other people. Right. So that's the standardized piece that is helpful. Um, I think that when I was reading, the apps that I thought needed standardized testing the most were like from people from non-traditional backgrounds, maybe homeschooled mm -hmm. students, mm -hmm. because it's harder, you know, to compare a homeschool GPA to, you know, a large high school GPA. It's hard. It's hard to kind of compare those numbers. But a standardized test or community college courses, something like that, would give us a way to evaluate and compare because that's, you know, in the end, that's the job. Right, right. And I think, especially if someone has maybe a weaker part of some of their application, maybe they don't have as many activities or their GPA is lower, that standardized test can really 
kind of help even things out? It can. It sure can. Um, you know, I think the more I work with kids, the more I realize every kid has so much worthy about them, right? Mm-hmm. Like every kid, no matter what their high school years have been like, there's something about them that's thoughtful or interesting or you know worthy of exploration. Um, and I think applications, you know, it's a real challenge to get that across in a 13-page college application. Right. So, um, you know, that's the part of the job that I like is trying to help kids figure out how to do that, how to get their best selves across mm-hmm. in that small space. Right. And it is it is a very small space. Like yeah. you said, 13 pages. The personal statement is 650 words. It's not a lot. So you really have to pack all of your impact into a very small space. So what would you say of those components, those different parts, the different pages of the application, What's the one section that really you think could make or break an application if done very well or maybe done a little bit poorly? Yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say personal statement because you have so much control over that mm-hmm. and you have control over it late, right? You have control over it until you hit submit. Right. Um, I think the activity list is also super important and often overlooked how mm-hmm. important it is. But it's something you don't actually have that much control over by the time you start to think about it, right? By the time kids sit down in senior year and go, oh, I didn't do anything in ninth or 10th grade, like it's too late to fix that. Mm -hmm. Um, Your personal statement, you know, you can fix a personal statement right up until you hit submit. So I think that that is the, the part that students have the most control over, the greatest ability to really change things up by um, what they say, what they emphasize, how they what parts of themselves they share. So I always tell my students, like, your personal statement isn't a 360-degree view of you, right? Or you don't, you're not sharing everything about yourself. You have limited space. So I like to think of it as, like, a snapshot. Like, let's catch your best side, mm-hmm. you know? Let's smile and look good. So let's find the story that's going to show you at your best to colleges. And that really varies um, from student to student, what that story is, um, what, their, what their writing voice is like. You know, a kid who, who writes very formally, their personal statement is gonna have a very different tone and style and um, show them in a different way. So all of those pieces kind of um, are in play. Writing style, um, content, brainstorming ideas, um, finding a message that's going to resonate with the rest of your application. I think that's a really exciting part, and I think that's um, it does have the ability to shake things up. A great essay, a terrible essay, can, you know, I'm not going to say it's the factor, but it can definitely change the direction that an application is heading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of maybe a terrible essay, do you yeah. have any applications that you remember reading that you truly still remember as maybe some of the worst application components or full applications that you read? Oh, I really do, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I actually read an essay that started out um, something along the lines of, I was really passionate about soccer and it took up all of my time until I became distracted with other activities in the third grade. The third grade, Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, I think if you've played soccer uh, just up till second grade, you haven't really played soccer probably what I would say. That was not a great essay. Um, Let's see, I read an essay about a fancy vacation, and 
and it started with uh, the person writing it stepping outside of the gated hotel and seeing a poor person for the first time in their lives. Mm. That was not a great essay either. Um, so realizing how other people are going to interpret your essay is so important. I really recommend that you know kids. It's hard sometimes to share a personal statement mm-hmm. because it's personal, right. but getting other people's response to it is critical. If either of those essays had shown what they had written to a friend, a teacher, a parent, somebody surely would have said, oh, this is not good. I remember one of my favorite essays. Uh, It's about a kid who was interested in studying psychology, and he had learned about uh, Pavlov's dogs, right, and how they would salivate at the sound of the bell Mm -hmm. um, because they'd been conditioned to expect food. So he decided without telling his girlfriend that he would (laughs) conduct a similar experiment on her. So every time the school buzzer buzzed, he would just pass her a Skittle. So he wrote this essay about watching his girlfriend become trained to expect (laughs) Skittles every time the thing buzzed. Mm -hmm. So without realizing it, she started turning and smiling at him every time the overhead, the loudspeaker buzzed. And, you know, he ended up writing a really cool essay about how his interest in psychology um, had affected like his real life and it was humorous and it was very memorable and he really you know convinced me that he was the kind of kid who would like take chances and do interesting things and I found that very engaging in his in his essay Um, yeah it it was a funny essay not everybody should try to be funny Mm -hmm. if you're not generally a funny person this is probably not the time right not the time to try (laughs) a lot of jokes fall flat Um, but in that case it really worked yeah, I think there's definitely lessons to take from all of those, the good and the bad of, yeah. you know, maybe don't, maybe be careful if you're a privileged person of how you write about that in your college application. Absolutely. Any of those stories, you know, could have made good essays. Right. Right. They just weren't written in a way that was going to be palatable. Right. So I know that there's a lot of um, kind of common wisdom about topics to avoid, religion, politics, I think generally speaking, that's true. But I think if an individual kid has a story they really want to tell that involves religion or politics or something else that's controversial or upsetting, um, it definitely can be done. It's riskier because it's harder. Mm -hmm. Those are harder essays to do well, to do without offending anyone, to still have value um, and not remove all the edginess from writing about something that is an edgy topic, right? That's much harder. Um, So I think in general, kids should stay away from those unless they're ready to tackle something that has an extra challenge. But somebody who does that well and takes that chance, you know, that could be powerful because there aren't a lot of those. Right, yeah. So currently we are getting closer to application season, submitting deadlines for early schools and for regular decision. So for students applying right now, what would your one piece of advice be? I think right now you need to nail down your school list immediately so that you know how many essays you have to write. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of kids don't realize how many essays might be required for their dream school. I was talking to a student yesterday who was interested in the University of Pittsburgh, has rolling admissions, it's 
um, you know, got a pretty generous acceptance rate. She was feeling great about it. And she opened up the application and realized that's five essays mm -hmm. that are not just like everybody else's essays. Like she would need to write five new essays. Um, you need to realize those things while you still have enough time to do that, mm -hmm. to make a schedule, to do the planning. So I think that is really crucial at this moment in time is to make sure it can change a little. Your list might come and go, you know, if you get into an early action school or a rolling decision school, that might change other schools on your list. But for the most part, I think getting that nailed down right away is really important. Um, my nephew is actually coming to spend the weekend and work on his college applications. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing I plan to talk to him about is, um, you know, that school list and why those schools are on his list and making sure he understands the requirements for each school that he plans to apply to. Right. Really doing that early planning of just getting yourself organized. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, the, the common application really helps and makes it a lot easier mm -hmm. than it was back in my day. But, um, but there's stuff hidden there that you can't necessarily see until right. you actually start applying. New essays can pop up. Right. And maybe for students who still have a few years of high school left until they apply, what would your advice for those students be as they maybe start thinking about the future and where they want to go to college or what their future plans are? Sure. I think um, Ingenious actually has a great way of summarizing this. They suggest that freshman year you should explore. You should try new interests, new clubs. Um, things that just sound fun or interesting or exciting to you, you should look into them and try them. Mm -hmm. Sophomore year, you should start to focus, right? Drop the ones that actually haven't proven to be meaningful or that take up too much time, justified, hard to justify with your interest level. Focus on the ones that you're really serious about. Junior year is time to build. You've got to dig into your interests, your clubs, your activities, and go deeper. Um, you know, earn some achievements, some recognitions, um, try to make something substantial out of your interests, and senior year apply. Right. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. I really think that your insights will really help people applying and applying in the future to really know kind of what admissions officers are really looking for and what their experience in the office is. Thanks, Kayla. For more information on what admissions officers are really looking for in top colleges like Dartmouth, be sure to check out our blog, which is linked in the episode description below. There are tons of helpful articles about application components that Heather talked about, such as the personal statement and activities list and more insights from top colleges. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social media with the hashtag, hashtag InsideAdmissions. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon for another episode full of admissions tips and expert insights. See you then.